Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 95 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. And wow, number 95. We're getting close to the big one zero zero. That's right. And we're going to have to do something special for that one. Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, so for those of you who haven't been listening to us for 95 episodes... This is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We are a father-son duo here to talk about all things we love about the sport, as well as our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And uh, before we dive into our discussion of Nebraska's game against Penn State, we both have a beverage to crack. Uh, Yes. In my case, I have a shock top Belgian wine here, or Belgian white, rather. Um, however, yes, in my eagerness, I, uh, I, I cracked it before the podcast. So <laughs> right there, that's, that's all you're going to get from the cap. So there you gotcha. go. Gotcha. Well, and mine happens to be a bottle also. So I don't know that we're going to get the normal, uh, opening of the can of beverage like we normally do, but I will try to see what we can get from the clink of opening a bottle. But mine is my, my favorite uh, beer from here in the state of Arizona, where I am currently residing. It's a wonderful uh, Scottish-style amber beer called Kilt Lifter, and I really like it. It's wonderful, and I found it at the store today, and I'm like, hey, I need to grab one of those. So here we go. Here's my first Kilt Lifter of the season. Oh, you heard that, right? Yeah, that was nice. That was a nice one, a nice okay. under a little pressure. I see. Well, I didn't realize you found this beer today, so it's a recent discovery. Oh, oh no, no, no. I, I, I drank it quite regularly last year, and uh, I guess I, I discovered it two years ago uh, when we were here two years ago. But I, it's only, I only get it when I'm here in Arizona. All right. Well, this past weekend, uh, Nebraska played its uh, third game of the season against Penn State. And on the previous podcast, we gave our usual predictions. Um both of us predicted a Penn State victory. However, you predicted a dominant victory of 42-24, to 24, whereas I predicted a closer game of 24-28 going Penn State's way. Uh, but in the end, it ended up being a Nebraska victory of 30-23. to 23. So uh, a pleasant surprise for both of us, I would say. Yes, absolutely. Particularly how we performed in that first half. Well, and thanks to some gifts from... It's always nice when, you know, the opponent uh, doesn't play well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that helps. But as you recall from the podcast, my score prediction was predicated on the fact that I uh, figured that Penn State would make mistakes uh, and turnovers and things based on their performance because they have also had a uh, bad season so far. Uh, And that definitely proved to be the case with a fumble that was uh, brought back for a touchdown by our defense and a costly interception uh, by their first team quarterback that led to him being replaced. Yes. And thank God they took a whole half to replace him because his backup was way better than he was. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of thought it was a weird inverse of the Northwestern game because when you look at the stats, Penn State way outstatted us in everything, uh, but those two turnovers were uh, really costly. 
Um, and then when they brought in the the second team quarterback, they started doing better. It's kind of like how we were against Northwestern, uh, except we didn't bring McCaffrey in until the third quarter. Um, whereas, you know, maybe if we had brought him in earlier, we would have won that game. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure depending on how the remainder of our season progresses here, like, for example, let's suggest that we might win this weekend if we could and start moving in a positive direction that we'll look back on that Northwestern game and be kicking ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we definitely will be. Um, and I, I was saying in a comment online that um, this was the best win of Scott Frost's era so far. And some guy commented saying, uh, oh, against a 0-4 Penn State team, like way to go. And I was like, hey, man, we'll take what we can get because the only other well, one that's worth uh, the look back through our previous wins, the only other one that can, could compete is the Michigan State victory in 2018. Uh which we won Correct. like a six to nine close game, a uh, very defensive right. game. Um, and that's right. the only other one I can think of that would really come close. Well, and, and had last year gone more positively, I would say that people would still be looking back at that Michigan State win and, and say that was the turning point, right? Because that was the first uh, significant win we had after we finally broke the, the, the snide and, and started winning football games in that first season. But, then we fell back in in season two and so the the significance the relevance of that michigan state win becomes more diminished now we look at this win against penn state and yes they're zero and four but they're zero and four having played what we now know is two really good football teams in indiana and and uh ohio state right and then uh you know the 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 unexplained unexplainable one was of course the maryland one but even Maryland is showing themselves to be a way better football team than people perceived going into this season. So when you look at what Penn State, um, and they were obviously playing with the wrong quarterback. If they go with the new guy, I have a feeling there's a, a few W's in, in Penn State's future. Oh, yeah. Yep. No, and he's, once again, the similarities continue because he's a little bit like McCaffrey, too, in that I would say McCaffrey is a better runner than that guy, but that guy's a better passer than McCaffrey, though, both neither, you know, great passers because um, there were, you know, a number of uh, they kept bringing it up. At, the announcers were during the second half of the game were like, oh, if you lead that guy a little bit this way, you know, you got to read how the defenders are defending, you know, to get the ball the outside where your guy could get it, you know, and he would throw it inside and thus it would be incomplete. But had he thrown it outside, his guy could have gotten it right. So it's those sorts of details that that guy still needs to work out. Uh, but once he does, he'll be a threat because he he's he's got that dual quarterback uh, thing with him. Right, he's a very physical runner. Even though he's not super fast, he's big, strong. He's like two hundred and thirty pounds. The guy's like a fullback. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, th- this uh, this game got off to a great start for us. It was ten nothing in by the end of the first quarter. Um, with a, uh, you know, with a field goal that was a little bit frustrating because we were like right at the goal line or, right. you know, should have, should have been line. 14. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. You know, and there were a couple, uh, moments like that where, you know, we had good drives and then had to sell for field goals, um, which was frustrating but at the same time. Then when you go into halftime and it's, uh, 
27 to 6, you know, against Penn State, who everybody we all thought we were going to lose to, you know, you got to feel pretty good about that. Um, McCaffrey showed uh, why he's in as quarterback, and we uh, gave the ball to Wandale Robinson a lot, uh, probably too much over the course of the whole game, but still, I was happy to see him getting some touches. And we had a really nice run uh, by uh, Betts which I believe that was the first time we had really seen him do anything significant this season. Well, he, he had, he has caught some passes in the previous game against Northwestern. And then of course had some receptions in this game as well. Uh, but yeah, he's a true freshman. That's just, just getting into the groove a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when you look at the stats, like I mentioned earlier, they really are very Penn state favored, like in terms of total offense, they put up 501 yards against us, whereas we were at 298. Uh, they had 30 first downs to our 17. Um, and on third down conversions, we were, uh, let's see, where are we? Four of 12, while they were eight of 17. Um, so, and they were really good on fourth down, too. They were like three for three or four for four or four for uh, five or it, until the end. It was and then right, three of five. Three of five, but they were three for three in the first three, and then and then at the end of the game, you know, when they were trying to win, when they were trying to score to to tie, they went for it on fourth down twice and didn't get it until the end of the game. They were they were pretty much you know in the middle of the field when they needed two or you know two or three yards uh, on a fourth down, they just line up and smash us and and get it. Yeah, well, and the thing that stood uh, stood out to me in terms of like. Uh, us really struggling in some of those like third and short situations um, is I really felt uh, Mills being absent. And my understanding is that he got hurt with some sort of leg injury um, really hurt Correct. us. Cause Wandale is great, obviously, but he's not, he's a little guy, you know, so he's not the guy you bring in on third and three, you know, just power it in down the middle, right? Like he's never going to be that guy. Um, whereas Mills was able to do that pretty effectively against Northwestern last week. Uh, but, uh, but my understanding is that he was like limping at halftime. Is that what you heard as well? Yeah. Well, it was even before halftime. Yeah. He, he, he got hurt and they decided to hold him out. And that's when, uh, we started utilizing, uh, um, uh, Robinson a little bit more frequently at the running back spot, um, because we just didn't, uh, and I, I don't know what, what, what has happened to uh, Johnson. Um, um, let's see, it's uh, Ronald Tompkins and Ramir Johnson. Ramir Johnson, who, you know, played a little bit last year, but has seen the field very little this year. So he clearly is, uh, I don't know if they're just trying to see what they have in Tompkins after his recovery from all of his surgeries and wanting to see what, what a guy like uh, – Scott has Scott the third, um, um, uh, you know, who's a true freshman. Right. Yeah. But yeah, then unfortunately we kind of saw a repeat of what we've seen earlier in the season and that in the second half, we, uh, the other team made adjustments and we kind of struggled to deal with it. Uh, and they, uh, they started scoring, uh, you know, more regularly on us. Although, you know, the defense was still slowing them down, but then the offense just, couldn't get anything going. And when we did finally get a drive in the fourth quarter, we once again had to settle for a field goal, weren't able to get in the red zone. Um, and it, and especially then when 
where I really felt like the game was falling apart was when uh, the defense, which had been, you know, good at not letting up any big plays for most of the game, uh, right. goes, goes for a, a blitz, doesn't get it, and leaves one of the receivers wide open uh, for an easy touchdown scenario for them. Right. Uh, that really hurt. Up... And then followed no. by us throwing an interception on the very next drive after like three plays. Um, so right. giving them the ball with great field position so they can easily tie it up and win the game. Yep. Uh, yep. And then they drive it down. We stop them on the goal line. So they get nothing out of it. Uh, then or, we go three and out. Right. And yeah. And then we get the ball. And if we just get like a couple first downs, we win just by running out the clock, but we can't do that. We go three and out and give them another chance. And then the defense does another goal line stand to, uh, to save to the day. Secure as the win. Right. So th- that exactly. was my big takeaway. While the, cause I know you were very upset with our defensive coordinator as we were texting back and forth throughout the game. Cause they were, uh, you know, they plain state was having these drives that were going down the field on us uh, pretty consistently, but we seem to always find a way in the red zone when their defense, when their offense was more constrained on the plays they could run. That's when our defense kind of stepped up and I was, I, you have to be impressed by that ability to be clutch because in the past we have not been able to do that. Um, so the fact that we saw it here is a good sign, I think. I, I agree. That is one of the positive takeaways is that we, we had, we had to make some plays and we actually did, which is something we have not done in the past. However, I would say that Penn state made that easier by choosing to throw the football as much as they did. I'm, I, I was scratching my head during both of those, um, a goal line stands, or I'll say red zone stands that we had uh, late in the fourth quarter there because um, they had a timeout available. Penn State did, mm-hmm. which to me as a coach, if I know I've got a timeout available, then I know that I still have the option uh, to run the football once and then call a timeout after that run is complete if it doesn't produce the desired result, right? And I, and I don't lose a whole heck of a lot more time than I would if I threw the ball and it was incomplete, right? So as long as I can hold on to one uh, first, or excuse me, one um, timeout, I have the flexibility in my play calling, in my opinion, to allow me to run the football as well as pass it. But for whatever reason, they went into a full pass mode and threw it basically like eight or nine times in that sequence of two uh, red zone visits when they had dominated us, uh, really, in terms of being, I mean, they could have lined up and ran the football and every three downs they would have gotten a first down. And certainly when they got into the fourth quarter and they were still behind and they were going for, going for it every fourth down because they had no reason not to, they were easily getting it if they needed to go to fourth down. So, you know, I would have been way more run heavy if I had been Penn State's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, one other thing I noted is that um, I'd seen in their past games that their uh, receiver Dot Dotson is one yes. of their uh, best players. And he had like two receptions the entire game. We, we really did a good job of uh, kind of um, shutting him out of the plays. Um, right. It's good to see. Now they had a different guy who got quite a few receptions, um, but that was still uh, a promising sight in my mind. Uh, I, I would agree, but I, I have a fundamental question to ask about 
what we do, for example, going forward this week, based on the results of uh, the Penn State game, because I, I would like to think that our coaches have now witnessed in a game situation our defensive backs and our on our defense to- in total uh, able to stop uh, some teams when they were playing man up, right? We were playing man on, on man in, in some of those circumstances, and we were able to keep them from getting consistent receptions. Uh, and, and we had some really good one-on-one defensive plays. I mean, Cam Taylor had a phenomenal uh, uh, pass breakup that was spectacularly athletic, I thought, and a, and a game saver. And then uh, I think both the Williams and, and, um, and uh, Dismuke also had at least one themselves uh, where they had just a great punch out type of defensive play and no personal uh, foul penalties, no uh, pass interference, which was amazing. And, and even Penn state's coach mentioned afterwards that they were, they were basically, that was the reason they were throwing it. They were, they were counting on the fact that even if we played good defense, that one of those was going to get called a pass interference because they always do. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. didn't happen. And, and that's another that's good other point to make. Um, we were relatively penalty free uh, in this game, which was good to see. Um, there was one uh, particular hit that looked like it was targeting. And to me, it was reviewed as such. And to me, it frankly looked more like targeting than the two that got called on our players in the previous games. Uh, but then they actually uh, picked up the flag on that one. They or they didn't, you know, call it. Uh, right targeting targeting right uh, which i get that well, it was a little bit different rules because he was a defenseless player he was a runner um, he was exactly he was running and uh and 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 our player did not launch uh, uh his feet were still on the ground and but he still had his head down and and i think there still was helmet to helmet contact although it was very subtle and and after review and you know looking at it real time it looked like there was way more helmet to helmet contact but in watching it in the slower motion of the video replay you could see that the majority of the contact was on the shoulder but uh mm-hmm. but you're right uh when you break that down uh and then you look at some of the other times this season or even in past years when we have gotten uh these targeting calls called against us uh, that one would have been in that same uh, group, right? So right. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm a little surprised that it didn't get called, and uh, happy, obviously. But, but the fact is, is that we're living on the edge when we keep doing this sort of stuff. Uh, and it, and it, and it, I just, I, I think it's just something we're going to have to learn to live with. Right. And one other little point I wanted to make, because uh, you've made it as well during the game, was that um, we had several points where our uh, our players were confused or we had late substitutions going on um right which uh either forced us to like call a timeout because then penn state had to be given the opportunity to substitute their players um or it was just coming too late and you know we had to call a timeout because of that or you know whatever and i'm not 100 percent clear on how those rules work which maybe could help me a little bit uh so if you know, if we substitute a player with, you know, let's say 20 seconds left on the play clock, how long does Penn State then get from the ref to, like, bring in their own player 
to okay. for substitution. And, and, and here's where the complexity comes in. There isn't a, a definitive answer. There's not a five-second rule or an eight-second rule or anything like that. There is a word of reasonable. And the ref then uses reasonable judgment. And that reasonable, the reason they have to do that is that it legitimately is harder to substitute a player if you're way down in the red zone. And so your players, if they're staying in the player's box, right, uh, which is from, the, I think, the 35 to the 35, you, uh, the players and the coaches can't go any further towards the goal line than, that, than the 30 or 35-yard line. There's a box. There's a white box that's defined on the sidelines, right? And that's where the players are supposed to be. Well, um, then if you have to substitute in that situation, obviously it's going to take longer for a player to come from that box area all the way onto the field and get positioned versus if it's at the 50, right, in the middle of the box area. So um, that's why they don't have a definitive time, like five seconds in that rule. They say reasonable, and it's up to the referees to pass that judgment. And, for, and again, for whatever reason, Big Ten refs, in my opinion, tend to be more, more consistently different than the other refs that I watch, than the ACC refs, than the SEC refs, that I've watched the Big 12 refs that I've watched all season, the 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 Big Ten refs are choosing to be much more deliberate about what they perceive as reasonable than what I see from other schools or other conferences. And I- so that's that's the thing. So what happens is if you're an offensive team, Alex, and you make a late substitution, say with well, you said 20 seconds, I, I would say let's say more like 15, right? Or, or 18, something less than 20 seconds. If it's 20 seconds, you're probably still okay. But if, but if you make a substitution with 18 seconds left, now the defense has to be given the opportunity to substitute. So now they can take their time as long as the ref doesn't, doesn't think they're lollygagging, right? And, uh, uh, and all of a sudden their substitution you have to let their substitute come on and their substitute get off so that the play does not snap with, with 12 men on the field, right? So by the time that's all done, now when you're able to line up and, and start going and the referee steps away from the, in front of the center, you're down to eight seconds, six seconds, something like that, all right, before the snap of the ball. Well, in, in Scott's system... Uh, with all the checks and the, the looking over the defensive alignment and all that kind of stuff before that happens, if we're not set and uh, if we're not ready to go uh, before eight seconds left in, in the play clock, then that's too late, right? By the time all the, the, the motions and stuff that you called uh, are, are going to happen, you're going to run out of time. Mm-hmm. So that was what happened down there near the goal line where we made a, a late substitution because we had the wrong personnel in. And then that guy had to run off and a new guy had to come on. And when that happened, uh, that gave Penn State the opportunity. So we were sitting at like eight seconds and we and Penn State was still being given time to bring their guy on. Well, shit, by the time they got all set up and it was an important down, it was like a third down. Scott had no choice but to call a timeout. So even though it was the defense that was substituting last and it looked like they were lollygagging, the fact is, is that they could have just let it go to time expired, and then it would have been up to the ref to decide, was that Penn State's fault for being lollygaggers, or was that Nebraska's fault 
because they substituted too late. And they would have most likely uh, called that on us and we would have lost five yards, right? And in the red zone, that's huge. So what do you do if you're a coach? You call a timeout. That was a long-winded answer, but that's that's the way. That's why that's such a confusing thing. Right. Yeah. It, that that one play in particular, it definitely looked just from looking at the cameras like the Penn State's guys were, you know, moving pretty slow, or like that, you know, they were they were not, you know, definitely not uh, moving as fast we're, as they could have. Right. Um, they were not in a hurry. No, they weren't, you right. know, and so to me, that kind of almost seemed like, yeah, they were like abusing the system in a way. But to your point, at the end of the day, it's on Scott and his assistants for waiting that late to substitute, you know, whoever's in charge of that has to be right. on top of that. And hopefully right. they got a talking to after this game. Exactly. Well, uh, well, oh, absolutely. In fact, I, if, if, if whoever was responsible for getting personnel groupings on the field, that person probably needs to either – I don't know if you can even coach them up at this point. We're, we're in game four. So whoever's doing that failed, flat and simple. Whatever assistant coach or GA or whatever who was responsible to make sure that the right wide receivers and running back combination was in the backfield there, um, um, that guy needs to lose his role on game day at a minimum – and somebody who is going to take that more seriously and, and get their shit together needs to take that job because that is uh, not just in the timeout situations, just in general. We were running plays where it was pretty clear after they were running the play, the wrong people were on the field. And it's why uh, 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 McCaffrey sometimes found himself with very few options of what he could do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my last point to make on the game uh, will be obviously that I was, uh, you know, I was anxious, of course, in that fourth quarter where it looked like we were going to lose again. But I was very happy that we ended up winning. Um, I felt like I I was not pleased to see that um, McCaffrey did seem to struggle throwing the ball more in this game than he had even in the his little bits in the Northwestern game. Um, Part of that was due to the pass protection on him just being bad because there were Penn State guys were frequently getting back there very quickly, so he didn't have much time to uh, get his receivers. Um, but I'm hopeful that in this next game against Illinois that we will be able to see him just doing – I'm not even expecting deep passes, but just the short, you know, 8, 12-yard passes you know, to get us first downs. I want to see him getting those more consistently. Absolutely. Well, and I want more than that. Uh, I have an even higher bar than what you've just described in terms of what I think we need to be able to see. And we need to be able to demonstrate because I think Illinois will certainly uh, challenge us in that regard with their defensive game plan and basically say, I dare you. They're going to be basically uh, putting us in a situation where if we can't prove our ability to throw and complete uh, longer passes, then they're going to be so focused on those shorter routes and the running game that they're going to shut us down. Okay, and so uh, and 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 our offensive line is going to see that kind of aggressive, um, you know, blitzing, uh, adding people to the box kind of approach that Penn State used in the second half. That's going to happen again until we prove that it they can't do it. Right. We're going to have to be successful against the team and have some explosive big plays as a result before teams will back off. And so, yeah, that's a big deal. That is a really big deal. And in fact, that that 
kind of dovetails very nicely with what, what my final comment was going to be, Alex, about this game was I was so frustrated with our defensive alignment. And particularly in the second half, it seemed. <clears throat> and maybe it was happening in the first half. And although I've watched the game a couple of times now, and I, I felt like we were playing with our linebackers uh, at what I would call traditional spacing off the line of scrimmage so that they could flow to uh, the play side, flow to the ball. Uh, but in the second half, we, we dialed up the pressure when things started getting a little uh, um, tighter because of Penn State's success. And when we did that, uh, there was no one left. There were no linebackers. The linebackers were all right up on the line of scrimmage, supposedly with the idea of threatening to blitz uh, creating some challenge for Penn State's offensive line and offense to figure out who was going to come and who wasn't. But in doing so, it basically put us in a situation where if they were able to crack that seam in their running game, then the chances were good that whoever was running that football, whether it was the quarterback or the running back, they were going to make you know, 10 to 20 yards because there's no linebackers to flow to the, to the ball. Additionally, when you put people up like that, all of a sudden, you know, uh, they run uh, some kind of a combo blocking scheme and all of a sudden one of our linebackers goes the wrong way and it's a huge gap. And there, there were some massive holes that Penn State was able to create and they didn't even have to create them. We created them for them uh, mm-hmm. by virtue of how we did our, our gap integrity along the, along the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm just... The only way I, they, they have to stop doing that. Nebraska has to stop doing that. And the way they can stop doing that is by integrating more man to man secondary coverage. If they go to more of a man coverage with a, with a single safety, meaning cover one is what that's referred to as, where you have one safety that's kind of staying back there and just kind of governing anything that's going deep, right? And, and they're going to pick whichever person they're going to cover and otherwise it's going to be uh up to the individual man-to-man assignments that they stay with their guy right but if you do that then you can tend to have one additional guy that tends to be more focused on uh the box on the running plays on a scrambling quarterback etc etc follow me yeah and we need to be able to do that if we're not able to do that against a an illinois team that at this point does not have a large number of wide receivers who appear to be a big threat. They have one guy that's pretty darn good and has done some spectacular things for them already this season that we have to be concerned about. And, and so that guy's going to be a hard matchup for somebody. And we might have to shade our, our cover one safety to that guy. But, but we should be able to put that extra guy in the box so we can spy this athletic quarterback that they now have and, and do that. So the implication is, is, is not just about the Penn State game, but about all of our future games. We've got to be able to have confidence in our secondary, and our secondary is mature and should be able to do it. And I think we demonstrated it in the Penn State game with some of the great defensive secondary work we did, especially late in that game. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree There's, with that. And I noticed that as well, that we really need to leave at least you know one guy uh, behind the line to account for their quarterback just tucking and running it because there are so many pass plays where he dropped back and then just, you know, when the pocket opened up for him, he just ran straight down. There was nobody to stop him. Right. Um, 
and and in a couple of big big explosive running plays they had in the second half where once they got past the line of scrimmage there's nobody left and they end up getting tackled by you know one of our corners or safeties who came off of their receiver to make the tackle right um, since you mentioned Illinois already, that's might be a good transition to talk about that being Nebraska's next game next week. Um, yes. Illinois is currently one in three, having lost to Wisconsin, Purdue, and Minnesota, uh, but gotten their first victory just this last weekend against Rutgers, 23 to 20. Um, so having now come off of this Penn State victory and it being at uh, home, you know, which obviously isn't uh, much of a advantage these days with nobody in the stands, but I do think it is a small advantage still. Um, I uh, I definitely feel like, uh, you know, if we play uh, and make adjustments based on that Penn State game and, you know, uh, we're able to get Luke more comfortable in the role of quarterback because I assume he'll be starting again and everything like that. Um, I'm feeling uh, pretty good that we'll we'll get our W and hopefully get the second half of our season that's easier than the first half that we had uh, off to a good start. Well, that would be the hope, and and you know it seems that that is the tenor of you know the bulletin boards that I frequent and things like that. But I have great concern because you know uh, recent history tells me that Nebraska has really really struggled and has in fact made a lot of very average running quarterbacks look like all Americans. And in fact, if you'll recall, there was a quarterback uh, from Illinois, A.J. Bush, who actually ironically was a was one time a Nebraska Cornhusker and had transferred, transferred away to another school and then like a, I think a JUCO or something and then transferred to Illinois and ended up playing at Illinois and playing against us as a senior. And he ran for a, a at the time a uh, Illinois record for quarterbacks rushing against Nebraska, like 187 yards. And that particular record was broken this past week by the Illinois quarterback against Rutgers who ran. So that, that Illinois quarterback ran for 192 yards on like 30 carries. Okay. So this is a kid who was very highly regarded is a four-star athlete uh, quarterback out of if i remember correctly the st louis area and was somebody we recruited uh, a lot of teams recruited him most schools recruited him for something other than quarterback because i think he also demonstrated in that rutgers game that he doesn't have a great throwing arm or accuracy but he is an, a remarkable athlete and faster than heck and quick and he scares the heck out of me because of our propensity to not be very secure in our tackling technique and secondly because i i don't see that traditional three levels of defense that i want to see when we're defending the run because you have to be able to have a line that that neutralizes the offensive line that allows then those linebackers to flow to the play and make the tackle that's the way the defense is designed to work but the way that our defensive coordinator is choosing to scheme things he seems to put people up on the line of scrimmage, standing up, all of our linebackers. So there's no linebackers away from the line of scrimmage. And it just drives me crazy. Right. Well, and, and you know, and that may be a situation of, although you were making the point that you saw it more in the second half, which is odd because then they, had, by that point, Penn State had brought in Levis, who's more of a running quarterback. Right. Um, but hopefully, you know, 
we would hope that uh, he watched that Rutgers game and knows that this quarterback isn't so great at passing it, but is great at running it, and so it was able to you know make that adjustment accordingly. But uh, we will well, see. and that's what I want to see. If I if I see us going to more man to man because we have, I believe the defensive backs to do it. We have maturity back there. We have some guys that are pretty darn good, and I don't believe Illinois is filled with wide receivers that are necessarily guys that we need to think are are so phenomenal that they're going to be really hard to cover you know for our our dbs we ought to have confidence that our defensive backs can hold their own against them right and if we can do that then we can add some extra attention to the running game and that will help contain him we do that and all of a sudden their offense looks very inept Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's it'll be interesting because they may go back to peters because they're their starter is probably going to be available again off of COVID. And so the question is, do they go back to Peters or do they start the game with Isaiah Williams? Uh, I think they'll start with Isaiah Williams. I think based on the post-game comments from Illinois' coach, I am convinced that Isaiah Williams will be the starter and Peter has lost his job. Right. Yeah, I I would – I would definitely like to see those adjustments on the defensive side. On the offensive side, I think the thing I'm going to be looking for uh, beyond the passing, which we mentioned earlier, um, is just seeing some more play variety and us not running uh, Wandale Robinson up the middle so much. Um, right. It felt like, especially in that second half, uh, Penn State was really sniffing out like when Luke was keeping it for a QB draw or, you know, uh, what we were right. doing on the running side of things. Um, whereas I feel like with Juan Dale, he's so speedy, right? If you can get him to the corner and he can, you know, just make one guy miss, then he, that's where he really excels. And then he's out in the clear and using his speed. Um, right. So, so I'd like to see more of that. Um, and hopefully seeing some of those other running backs maybe coming to fill that running in the middle uh, part of our game more. I, I would totally agree with you. And, and, and that, that some of that falls on, on uh, the quarterback, on McCaffrey, because he needs to understand the situation that he's doing because a lot of those plays, he gave the ball, he had a choice. He could have kept the ball and then had a run-pass option off of that, right? Where he could have moved uh, after that mesh with the uh, with the running back on the zone read, and then once he read the zone read, uh, kept it, and then given himself a chance to throw the football uh, to uh, you know a fairly shallow receiver again, but at least somebody who was down the field a bit, right? Uh, but they uh, but he didn't do that. He kept his read continually. So whatever Penn State was doing was 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 playing into what our reads were. And, and so each time McCaffrey was doing his read and then giving it, giving the ball to, to, uh, to the running back every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. we can't let that happen. Yep. And, and part of that is, you know, he's a freshman quarterback, you know, still learning the system. So, you know, once again, uh, you know, we may not get some of those errors if, you know, Adrian is in the game, someone with more experience with the playbook, but I just think overall, um, you know, we, we, we can use this season as a building opportunity for McCaffrey, knowing that he is our future and that his overall, you know, level in terms of uh, his potential seems to be yeah, higher, than, higher, right. Higher than Adrian's at this point, who's now a junior. Um, and one other thing I wanted to mention, you just reminded me of it is in that Penn state game. I saw it, especially on those 
first couple drives where we scored and we're doing really well in that first half. You know, Adrian was out there like doing these uh, custom handshakes with Rondale Robinson and he's out there like slapping everybody's back on the sideline and we really seem pumped up and the players seem to be excited with McCaffrey. So, um, I, you know, there might have been some concern that, you know, there may be some divide in the locker room in terms of Adrian versus Luke and that sorts of things. But it seems like just from the eye test that uh, that the team is behind Luke if he is our starter. Absolutely. And I think and I think great uh, credit needs to be given to Martinez uh, for showing the leadership and the maturity to uh, be a teammate, a good teammate and doing all the right things. We'll see if that sustains, but uh, I, I think it will because I think Adrian, uh, at the end of the day, and that's what makes this so hard for Scott, is he knows that Adrian has all the intangibles that you want out of your team leader, okay? Uh, it's just that for whatever reason, his his decision clock, his decision-making was simply not happening fast enough. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious when the opportunity presents itself for Adrian to get in there again, and I think he will. I believe Adrian will play. Uh, snaps at quarterback in this in this coming game against Illinois. I think we'll co- you'll see a few game a uh, few plays where he and uh, McCaffrey are in the game uh, at the same time again, where Adrian is the quarterback and McCaffrey is the possible secondary quarterback kind of thing, just to create more uh, things for the defense to worry about. Right. What, what I do you think that uh, we have some sort of scheme in our system for? McCaffrey being the quarterback and Luke being in there or I'm McCaffrey being the quarterback and Adrian being in as a running back slash receiver. Cause obviously no. he also has some good legs on him. I know, but no, I, I think if we have both of them in the game at the same time, I think we will, uh, because the thing that we've been practicing throughout the, the preseason and throughout, um, you know, the latter part of last year, all was the other way around. And so I think it would be in our best interest to continue to execute those plays that we have way more repetitions on. Uh, and it still presents the same challenge for the defense, right? They have two quarterbacks in the game that they got to be concerned about. One of them could take a handoff and run. Another one could uh, take a handoff and then, and then throw it. Or the quarterback could just fake the handoff and throw it. So uh, that would be an Adrian-based uh, set of uh, plays, not the other way around. Right. Okay. So final thing to discuss here is our predictions against that game for Illinois. Um, I'm going to go ahead and predict a Nebraska victory. Um, what you said about Illinois' running game does have me a bit concerned, um, but I'm going to predict that that Penn State game was the the turning point that we want it to be, and that we're going to see some uh, good things moving forward from this team. So I'll go ahead and predict that uh, we win the game 31 to 21. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's a good, that's a good score. That's a good, that's a good uh, prediction, Alex. Um, I, I also want to, maybe it's our, uh, you know, we're drinking the red Kool-Aid, you and I, (laughs) Yeah, because I, I I I'm also going to predict the Nebraska victory, but I I want to say it with a uh, I want to tell you two things. One that I believe the scenario is going to be that if Nebraska's defense can do what I want them to do, which is to to play this more uh, aggressive man-to-man style of secondary play 
uh, and a single uh, uh, deep safety with greater regularity. You never go in one defense the whole game. So you're obviously going to have variety, uh, but but do that as our base package for, say, 60% of our snaps. Uh, then I believe with that, we're able to contain that that athletic quarterback and create frustration and 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 ineptitude for them and if we do that i could see us winning this game by 21 points okay i could see uh, a nebraska victory that's somewhere in the range of of 42 to 21 okay Mm -hmm. uh or alternatively uh we don't do that uh this quarterback has an all-american day probably runs for close to what he did last week uh, you know almost 200 yards and they score a lot of points. And then we end up in a shootout that is uh, uh, right around, uh, let's say, 42 to 38. And we win. So I'm going to say my two scenarios are both Husker victories. One of them is a nail biter that's going to cause me to have a heart attack uh, and, <laughs> and frustrates the hell out of me because our defense doesn't figure out how to stop an athlete at the quarterback position. Or... Uh, we play a team that either is so dumb that they put Peters back out there uh, to start the game and play into our hands a little bit, um, you know, or uh, or we are able to come up with a defensive game plan that actually shuts down this guy's athletic ability and then he can't throw and we win it that way. So, so I'm going to go with the nail biter because that's my paranoia until this team starts winning and demonstrating to me that they understand what the hell they're doing concepts wise, I'm going to say, this is going to be a nail biter. It's going to be 42, 38, Nebraska, uh, uh, going down to who's got the ball last. Okay. All right. We'll see which scenario plays out. Um, then talking about the other, uh, games from this past weekend there weren't a ton of big games um but i've got a couple here to discuss uh number nine ranked miami played against virginia tech and Ooh, won yeah but it was a very close game they won 25 to 24 that was that was a that was a uh, you know i didn't watch much of that game i just watched highlights and i believe that miami came from behind mm. pretty substantially in that game um that would make so sense. um um yeah, Miami is clearly the more talented team between those two teams at this point. And, uh, you know, I think Miami is on the come, which bothers me a, a great deal because I don't want them to have success. They're one of the teams I like the least in all of college football because of that stupid turnover chain and the arrogance and and the flaunting, non-sportsmanlike nature of their tradition. Um, so I don't I don't want any success for Miami, but I have to give them credit that they have great athletes and that quarterback they have is going to be a star in college football in the coming years. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me. There we go. Some hatreds run deep in college football. as they Oh say. God. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. And then in the big 10, there were two interesting games. Um, Indiana shut out Michigan state 24 to nothing. And then wow. Wisconsin did end up playing Michigan uh, and crushed them 49 to 11. Yes. So first, what is your thoughts on, on the Michigan-Wisconsin game? Um, well, I didn't end up watching the game. Um, I'm guessing, I forget, how. Like, did they end up having several players still out with COVID, or were they mostly... Uh, no, they did. 
They did. No, Wisconsin still had players out. In fact, I think it was like four or five starters did not play Oof. in that game, and they still kicked Michigan's well, ass. If that's the case, then that is I, – because I was expecting it would be closer – Wisconsin would still win, but it would be closer if they still had significant players out. Um, but if it was that bad with those players out, then uh, that's pretty rough for Michigan fans. Oh, yes. Well, and, and the thing was is that uh, a little bit like uh, our game with Ohio State last year where we we were down 21 to nothing midway through the um, through the first quarter, I believe Michigan was down like uh, 21 to nothing or maybe it was 17, but three scores like with seven minutes left in the first quarter. They, they turned the ball over twice early and um, – um, Wisconsin turned them all into points. Wisconsin was super efficient and physically dominated them with their running game and with their defensive line. I mean, uh, Michigan's quarterback was like harassed and 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 could not do anything. Could not do anything, and he he lost his composure really. And Michigan actually started to look better again after they replaced him. And I think that that guy, uh, Michigan's quarterback probably has lost his job to the to the underling which is ironic uh, and has a nebraska tie-in in that michigan's backup quarterback was supposed to be uh uh um uh luke mccaffrey's brother uh, uh dylan mccaffrey i believe his name is it was the backup quarterback at michigan until he he was going to be the starter and then when he lost that starting job and then we canceled the season um dylan put his name into the portal to transfer so he's no longer with the team he's still at the university of michigan i understand as a student but he's no longer with the team and he is in the portal waiting to see if he can find another opportunity somewhere else now i'm telling you dylan would have had a chance to play <laughs> uh at some point here in these la- in these first four games for michigan had he stayed with the team uh, he would have gotten his chance to to show it off, uh, but he left. So now Michigan is down to their third string quarterback, effectively, uh, who looks like he's going to be a better player than their starter. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah that that's a rough situation. Now, for so sure. then, so then now we switch to the Michigan State game, and it still ties into Michigan. How in the hell did Michigan <laughs> lose to Michigan State? Seriously. I mean, because Michigan State has looked pretty, pretty god awful in every game they've played except for the Michigan game. Yeah. What was it? I think <laughs> I saw something in the comments too about like all these teams that like lost to Northwestern and then like did really well like the next week. It's been like a consistent theme this season or something. Um, so maybe it's that like, you know, they, they, because of course that's a big rivalry game as we know coming from the state of Michigan so uh you know they they had some extra fire in them for that particular game right uh, some extra focus was on that game uh and then uh th- there's not much left in the tank for the rest of the season i guess god i just yeah i i, I don't i mean for michigan it's a head scratcher because they have so much talent and i have a feeling much like us I think you're going to see Michigan, if they make the change at quarterback, I think you're going to see them right the ship a little bit here, and they're going to look better going forward. Because I think their problem, much like ours has been for the better part of, you know, really uh, a decade, has been we have not had good 
uh, what what anyone would describe as good, consistent uh, Division One Power Five quarterback play. We've had a bunch of really good athletes who had the potential to be uh, really great quarterbacks, but they didn't have the whole package. And once you get that in that situation in the Big Ten, the coaching in the Big Ten is so good across the board that if you're a team that does not have an effective quarterback, then the opposing defensive coordinators are going to figure that out and they're going to make you look like shit because they're that good. Those coaches are that good. They're going to find your one or two weaknesses and exploit the hell out of them until you uh, lose. (laughs) And uh, that's, I mean, uh, uh, to Northwestern's credit, uh, um, Fitzgerald and his staff, they are phenomenal at figuring out what your weakness is and then just uh, getting you to play in a phone booth, meaning you you end up uh, uh, bringing shrinking your offensive scheme down so small that they can contain you, and then they, they just muddy it up and make it ugly, and and then at the end they come out victorious because they play error free and disciplined football and they tackle really well, um, and uh, uh, you know it's very uh, in keeping with the Wisconsin. Um, uh, structure and tradition now too, which is a similar. And now those two teams play each other. So that's my transition into the big games for this week that don't include Nebraska is the Wisconsin Northwestern game. Yeah. Yeah. That, that should be an interesting one. Uh, the one I'm actually more interested in uh, that the other big one in the big 10 is the Indiana Ohio state game. Um both teams which haven't lost yet and indiana is probably the biggest surprise for me of this current college football season in terms of just how well they've performed um but of course they haven't faced a team nearly as good as ohio state up to this point um so that'll be that'll be a real test for them if they could somehow miraculously pull that off that would be a real oh oh, uh, it'd be huge it would be that would be an earthquake in college football yeah yeah. Well, and, and so the thing is, though, is Indiana is, again, one of these teams that's mature, uh, collectively uh, fairly mature team and key spots. And then they have a young, athletic and what appears to be quick twitch, quick thinking quarterback who is playing at a very high level. Uh, he's young. He's only a sophomore, but he's playing lights out. If that kid continues to do that, that's what can carry a mature team who's not making a lot of mistakes. Now, what's going to be interesting is Ohio State, can they be like Wisconsin was? Wisconsin went two weeks without playing and then finally got to play again. So so they, they, they haven't been playing for three weeks, Alex. Think about well, that. Well, not just playing, you, but pre- practicing, right? Like you yeah, can't they, they, they only, well, they, they, they lost like eight, eight days or something in practice. Yeah. So they almost went two weeks without practicing even. And yet they came out and they looked like they were in mid-season form. Can yeah. Ohio State do that? Yeah. That's going to be the question, because now Ohio State has been off for two weeks. Can they be ready to go and be highly efficient? If they can, I think uh, Indiana's story will end in a thud, and, and Indiana will, will find out what it's like to play a team who's at another level, right? Um, and they won't look so good. But if Ohio State, on the other hand, is reading their own press clippings, hearing about how great their Heisman front runner is at quarterback, and all of a sudden bad things happen because 
you know, Indiana is efficient, um, then Ohio State can find themselves in a tussle, right? But uh, based on my opinion of uh, Coach Day there at Ohio State, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Ohio State's going to be um, comparable uh, in readiness to what Wisconsin looked like. And I think Ohio State's going to look really good. And when they do, then the differential is going to show up. And uh, I think Indiana's for real. And, and they're going to they're gonna compete like we did. Remember, we were right in that game until just before halftime. I see Indiana being right in the game until sometime in the third quarter. And then the difference will happen. <clears throat> and it'll ultimately be a 14-point victory for or more for Ohio State. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, do you want to put a – I put that down as our game to predict for next week. Um, uh, do you want to put a score on that particular game? Wow. Um, I don't think uh, Ohio State's defense is nearly as locked down as it, as it maybe has been. They don't have the superstar studs that they did previously, and I am doing this uh, prediction without any knowledge of their uh, COVID-slash-injury situation. Um, but I'm going to, assuming that's not detrimental, I'm going to say that Ohio State's going to win, but it's going to be higher scoring because Indiana is going to put up some points. Indiana is going to score 28, which is a lot against an Ohio State defense. But I think Ohio State's going to score um, uh, 35, okay. 35, 28. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I think I'll actually go a little bit higher scoring than that. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be a close game. Uh, let's say that uh, Indiana uh, Indiana gets 38 and Ohio State gets uh, 42. So they still win. Wow. It's going to be a close game. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that gets real nerve-wracking. You get inside a one score. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned the Wisconsin Northwestern game, uh, and maybe I'm biased here, but you know, since we played against them and frankly, I think we were the better team and should have won that game. Um, and given how good Wisconsin seems to be playing, I don't think that one will be, uh, particularly close. I think if Wisconsin comes to play, they will, uh, comfortably win that football game. You know, I'm inclined to say that as well. I'm inclined to say that as well. Um, I really don't. Uh, I think I think that Fitzgerald is doing a phenomenal job with that uh, Northwestern team and is maximizing what they have, but they don't have that much, not compared to Wisconsin. And so the difference in the personnel is going to show, and uh, Northwestern's going to try to play, uh, like I say, kind of get it muddied down into a phone booth but it's not going to work as well uh, when you're playing against a team like Wisconsin, who, again, uh, Wisconsin uh, coaches on concepts. They coach on a basic philosophy of how they do things. And then the coaches can dress it up with a lot of motion and a lot of uh, packages like their uh, zip, their, uh, um, their zip series where they have their uh, wide receiver motion. Uh, that ends up being a running play, you know, six times a game or whatever. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that they can do. And all the blocking and everything up front's the same, but there's all this shit going on in the background that, that confuses people, right? And, uh, and I think that because they can do that, that's what allows them to always look so sharp. And um, I love that about Wisconsin. 
and uh, and I think that shows up this week. All right, that's fair. And then the last big game is in the Big Twelve, which is Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State, another good rivalry game. Uh, both these teams now have one loss, um, so them playing each no, other. No, uh, uh, Oklahoma has two. Oh, they do have two. Okay. Yes. Um, well then, so it's really do or die for Oklahoma, uh, and Oklahoma yeah. State has the. Uh, I know they've they've lost their one game, which you know disappointed us because if they hadn't, they'd be you know the clear front runners in the in the conference. Um, right. But uh, but this is still a big opportunity for them. Oh, it's a huge opportunity for Oklahoma State. But I think uh, in keeping with the tradition of Oklahoma State, uh, going back to the Big Eight days. Oklahoma State is going to um, um, to, to to steal the, uh, the the state of Michigan phrase. Oklahoma State is going to be little brother again, and Oklahoma is going to find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though in the Michigan version of that contest, the little brother did win this time. Michigan State I, I know, win. but I'm just I'm just telling you that tradition and history says the opposite. And and I'm looking at Oklahoma as the traditional power who struggled early because their athletes were still getting their getting it figured out. But Oklahoma is starting to find their rhythm. And I just have a sneaky suspicion that this is the game where that's going to really begin to show up on a national stage. Oklahoma is going to win this game and it and it may be comfortable for Oklahoma Um, just because I, I, I mean, I've watched Oklahoma State for, you know, my whole life. Right. And uh, they've had some phenomenal athletes, some phenomenal teams, but they always find a way to lose to the big boys. And they just they, they just can't quite get over that hump. And I'm going to predict that that will happen again. All right. I'll, I'll go a little bit differently. I, I'm going to predict it's going to be close, uh, maybe even only by, you know, three points or four points. But I think Oklahoma State is going to win uh, and uh, and show the little well, brother who's or the big brother who's boss in this case. Well, uh, you know what? I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right and I'm wrong, but I just have a feeling that Oklahoma's gonna gonna get their shit together because this, you know, this is the bedlam war and uh, Oklahoma's team always rises to this occasion uh, and it's just so hard for Oklahoma State to overcome that. But I would love it if it happened. Love it. Because that would then definitely put Oklahoma State in the driver's seat. Yep. Yep. Yes, it would. All right. So uh, thank you all out there for listening to this podcast. We're, we'll be back next week for episode 96 of College Football Throwdown. In fact, uh, we'll be recording that one in person because I will That's be right. visiting my father and mother for uh, Thanksgiving week coming up here. That's right. So yeah, we're, we're very much looking forward to that. Yeah, so that'll be fun, and hopefully we'll be celebrating a victory over Illinois and the start of the turnaround for Scott Frost, Nebraska football right. team. And preparing for the big uh, Iowa uh, post-Thanksgiving game. So Yes, yes, that'll be a big one for sure. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can also find us online if you search for uh, College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts and our iTunes leave us a review there. Let us know what you think of the podcast and what we can improve on. So thank you very much for listening and thank you for co-hosting with me, Dad. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.